This morning we're going to continue in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to listen to his words. If you're new here and you need to know, you, you should know this, that our goal each and every Sunday and when we gather throughout the week is to point uh, each other to Jesus, to point our wayward hearts that are prone to wander to Jesus and who he is and to look at him in all of his beauty. And so this morning we recognize uh, the power and the value of, of Jesus and who he is and the satisfaction that we gain from knowing him. And so we would ask that he would uh, direct our gaze to his face, that he would direct our ears to his words and our thoughts to his glory. This morning, um, we're in Matthew chapter 5. So as, you're, as you have a Bible next to you, feel free to start turning there. We're going we're gonna to read it together. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 38. And if you look and you say 38, well, it looks like we, we jump. Don't worry. Next week, we're going to go back and we're going to get into those other two illustrations that Jesus is giving. Um, but this week, we're going to start verse 38. I'd invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible... There's Bibles in the seats next to you. Feel free to grab one of those paperback Bibles. Make it your own. Take notes in it. Underline. If you, if you go on a rabbit chase in the middle of it because you're so engulfed in the Word of God, man, that's great. Let's do that. Let's, let's hear His Word today. All right? So feel free to grab that Bible and make it yours because we want to engage the Word of God together this morning and hear the words of Jesus as He continues to lay out His way of living in the kingdom. The Way of the King is the, the title of our sermon series. We've listened. Uh, we're now in the fifth week of our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been beginning to realize both the gravity of what Jesus is saying, um, that, that it's a strong rebuke in some cases, but it's also pointing to a way that is beautiful. Like if we lived like that, it would, it would be amazing. It would be beautiful and wonderful. And so we, we're wrestling with this inner tension of, of longing for that and yet recognizing that it's not true. And so we repent and we turn. And, and that's what Jesus is calling. He's calling us to repentance. Matthew 4.17. This is before the Sermon on the Mount. So it's, it's reading, or we're reading what Jesus is going to do. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we also know that it's, kind, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So repentance is a good thing. It's a valuable thing. It's something that we should strive for. And Jesus is laying that out as his whole, his whole ministry is, is to call people to repentance. He's showing us the depth of our sin as he begins to uncover not just the outward actions, but the heart motivations behind it. And we talked about that last week with, these, with the two illustrations of anger and lust that Jeremiah was sharing about and, and that Jesus speaks about. And it, it really was pointing to not the outward action, but the desire that we have in our own heart. We need a heart and a will transformation. Remember these words that were preceding uh, last week's text and were preceding our text this week. It's from Matthew 5, 17 and 20. So you can look down. I'm going to read those two verses. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's some gravity there. That, that our righteousness, there is a righteousness that we must walk in, and it's got to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so he goes on from there, and he gives six illustrations 
to expose not just the, the sin of, of what we do, but the sin of our hearts behind what we do. And so, again, last week we talked anger and lust. This week we're going to be talking um, about retaliation and loving our enemies. So hopefully you've found Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. We're going to read together. You follow along as I read it aloud. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, even in, in seeing the word perfect, um, it reminds us of who you are and what you've done, but it also reminds us of our inadequacy, our lack of perfection. So this morning, we pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts, that you would clear our minds so that we could put aside the distractions that we brought in, Lord, because we, we long to hear what you have to say. We long to be transformed, to be conformed to your will. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would help us today, that you're, by your, the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. Lord, that you would be with uh, the partners that are instructing the younger children, both in the nursery and in the preschool, Lord, that they would be encouraged. Lord, that they would um, see your face, that they would present the love of Christ to these children at an early age, that they would know early growing up what a good and just king they have. Lord, we pray that you would speak that to our hearts this morning. We pray that in, uh, in your word, you would both reflect our sinfulness and our need for a Savior and present the good Savior, the perfect Savior who has come and who has walked the way of the King. I pray that we would trust you this morning for everything that we need and that we would give you all the honor and all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning... Um, I think sometimes I lose context in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've talked a little bit about it, that, that it is a very quoted sermon, right? Even, even people that don't believe in Jesus have quoted some of his words. And so we don't want to take it out of that context that, and, and, and misconstrue any of this. And so we got to remember what Jesus is doing here. He's not necessarily giving us uh, a checklist of things to do to be right He's actually exposing our need for a savior, our need for a good king who would come and who would walk a perfect path, a 
perfect way. And so as we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, we want to remember the context of the people that are hearing this sermon. So the, the disciples that are gathered on that mountain, they've been trying to, they've been waiting for a Messiah that would come, a king who would come, the promised king who would come. And for a while, they haven't heard anything, not even from the, the prophets. And so there's this, there's this time where they're, they're hungry, and maybe they've, they've forgotten that it's more about the heart than it is about the actions that they have. And so Jesus begins to just kind of walk through that. And he, he's led us here as he's confronting some of the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's really exposing their hearts. And he begins with the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter 5. And the Beatitudes show a way that probably the disciples were not expecting. They were probably thinking of a conquering hero, and yet Jesus is coming with humility and grace and talking about what it means to be poor in spirit, to be meek. And so the disciples may have been expecting something, but this truth is consistent with all of Scripture. Last week, Jeremiah walked through uh, a lot of the prophets and how they spoke to the hearts of the people. I want to look at just the Psalms, two Psalms this morning. So they, they both sound like a lot like Jesus' teaching of blessed are the poor in spirit. Psalm 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Jesus' teaching is not something new. It's consistent with all of the Old Testament law and prophets. Psalm 34.18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We remembered earlier in the sermon series that the very law of God found in the Ten Commandments begins with the first commandment quoted later in Deuteronomy that talks about our hearts. And in the Shema, which is the, the prayer of the Jewish people that they would pray every morning, they would say, Hear, O Israel, in Deuteronomy 6, 4-6, through 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. When I think of the law, I think of rules. I think do's and do nots. And the whole time that law is speaking to my heart. God is trying to to create a heart that would love him with, with everything that it has, my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's given us all of these things to point to that. And yet we take it and we make it a checklist. And so just, just remember the context. And that's, that's what the Pharisees were doing at that time. They're making it into this list of do's and do nots. And they got so wrapped up in that that they missed the heart behind it. And so Jesus is just deconstructing some of that with his words in the Sermon on the Mount. Pray that we this morning would be able to hear some of that even as we need to deconstruct some of our hearts. Um, Jesus begins to expose the fact that we, by our own will, we can't conjure up deeds worthy of salvation because even our own so-called righteous deeds are done out of skewed motives most of the time. They're done out of a, a, a defiance of his will and his rule. Or, like Jeremiah talked about, we submit but grudgingly. Right? We think that, man, if I was king, I'd do it differently, but I'm not king, so I'm just going to bear with it. I'm going to try to smile, and Jesus is deconstructing that. He's saying that he is the good king. 
and his way is the best. So this morning, in that context, we can look at what it means to not retaliate and not immediately make it this list of do's and do nots, but to look at what God is trying to expose in our hearts. Let's look at that first section. Verse 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus is quoting Old Testament scripture here. And he's actually quoting Leviticus 24 um, and just a small portion of what we're going to read. But we're going to read Leviticus 24, 17 through 20 to see it in context. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. You see, this is God's declaration to his people of what punitive justice looks like, what it means to, to punish wrongdoing. And, and yet we, we, just like the Pharisees, take that punitive justice and we make that a demand of our own hearts. An eye for an eye, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You, you. you do this to me, I'm going to retaliate and do this to you. And Jesus is, is just exposing that. He's saying how we have even taken this, this good way of God, this punitive justice, and we've demanded it on our, on, for us. And we don't have the right to demand that. You see, this was, it just exposes the inclinations of our hearts to demand justice and retaliate. Kids, man, I'm glad you're here this morning. Maybe you know a little bit about retaliation. Um, have you ever been hit by a brother or sister or maybe a kid at the park? Anybody? Okay, good. Thanks, Noah. Have you ever taken away, taken, had something taken away from you? Anybody ever had something stolen right out of your hands? Yep, there we go, Charlene. Thank you. And, and have you ever been made to do something you didn't want to do? Okay, everybody. Parents, anybody? All right, there we go. Go to work, right? Wake up in the morning. So we all have this. And, and what's been the response of our hearts in those moments? It's... It's frustration, it's anger, it's a declaring of this, this isn't right, I shouldn't have to do this. We need to know that this isn't a kid problem, and it's not a parent problem. It's a, it's a fallen humanity problem. In our hearts, we are saying that, God, you're not, you're not a good and just king. Retaliation needs to happen, justice needs to happen, and it needs to happen in my time. And Jesus is addressing that. He says, do not resist the one who is evil. We can't get, get past that. We, we want to justify resisting evil. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, there's going to be, there's going to be evil that comes in the form of, of people and they're going to abuse you. They're going to take advantage of you. Do not resist them. When you are wrong, do not resist. What? Don't we have a right to... And I think even as we begin there, as we begin to talk about our rights, we just need to pause for a second. Because we live in America, and we are quick to demand our rights. Um, And so I'm not going to dive too deep into it today, 
But remember what our country was based on. They were based on rebels who would say, you can't tell me what to do. Okay, and it's good. It's a beautiful thing. Democracy is wonderful. It's beautiful and a grace and a privilege to be able to live in America. But they were telling a king that he couldn't tell them what to do. And so look at your own hearts. Look at my heart. Do I not tell the king, this king, King Jesus, all the time that he doesn't have a right to tell me what to do? And so think about that. Think about how that kind of seeps into our American Christianity. And so this is a king. This is King Jesus. And he's telling us, you don't have a right. Do not resist the one who is evil. And yet, we do have rights. We are made in the image of God. He has given us these rights, but they're not ours. They're they're gifts that he's given us, an identity in him that we can lay down all of these things, that we can walk in his ways. And so just, just remember that, even as we're struggling with, like, does he have the authority to say this? Yes, he does. He is the king. But we don't not necessarily understand what that means because we live in a different culture. And so I pray that that would be a challenge to us, and maybe even a community group this week, that some good questions would spur from that, that we would say, man, what? I mean, there's got to be certain things, and yes, there are, but... But how often do we demand our rights? Really, the right that we have as sinners and rebels in a kingdom ruled by a just king is punishment and death. But God has given so much more. What rights do we have? The right to exact vengeance? To make them pay? What rights do we have and what rights do we think that we have that actually belong to the king? And so do we trust that he's just, that he's good, that his way is the best? Or do we, like, like we've talked about, war and say, I do it differently, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grudgingly say that you, you can do this, God. You see, the only way to fix this problem is if our hearts and wills are changed, if we trust the king to be just. We talked about, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, our hearts are like, yep, that's it. And then Jesus comes and he says, but... I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is talking, yes, about physical hitting, right? We talked a little bit about that with the kids. But it's also talking about the humiliation that comes from being slapped in the face. Do we, how willing are we to let go of that and be like, it's okay. I'm not going to retaliate. I know that I've been wronged, and yet I'm not going to stand on what I believe is my right because my Savior has paid the price for all of this. And so he goes on from not just being slapped and humiliated in that way, but being stripped, all the clothes taken off, being laid bare. And that's, that's a humiliation because we've, we all have these things that are guarding our shame and, and, and it's stripped away from him. And then he goes beyond that to being told to do something that you don't want to do. And that, in that time, the Romans had the right to conscript. So if, if you were um, living in a land that was occupied by the Roman government and that Roman soldiers told you to do something, you had to do it. They, they would cause you to, to walk with them, to carry something, to, to do something. And we, the, the closest that we have is during the Civil War, 
a lot of times in the south, the, the, the southern army would conscript and they would go in and they would take things from the, the plantation owners and the people there and, and say, hey, it's, it's for the good of the cause. And so there was this idea that they could do that and, and be okay with that. And so that's what Jesus is looking at here. He's saying, hey, if someone tells you to walk with them one mile, walk with them two miles. Continue to lay down those things that, that you feel you're entitled to. Jesus' commands in this passage are do not resist, give, and do not refuse. This last portion. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus says, do not resist the evil one. Give to those who would beg from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow. And yet we feel like there's a there's a, there's a point where we shouldn't have to give anymore. Uh, man, I struggle with this. Like, at what point can I say, this is too much? This is, I'm done. I'm out. God, you, you don't have the right to ask for more. And yet he does. And he, he's really clear here. There's, there's no, there's nothing that, no stipulations, no qualifiers that he's making in this passage that says, until here, or unless here, he says that the way of the king, the good way, the perfect way, looks like not resisting the evil one, but giving, and not refusing. And so maybe this morning, you are wrestling with walking through something, the encouragement is, is that continue walking, continue giving, continue not refusing, continue to lay down your life for your brother. And we're going to see that in a minute too. And, and then look to Jesus who did it really well, who did it perfectly and has now given us the ability to do it. We have to hold this in our mind that, that the demands that Jesus is making in this passage are, are really strong. Really strong, and, and, and our heart wars against it. Our heart says, no, that's too much. That's not going to do that. The only way for us to walk in this way is if there's an inner will change, an inner something switches in us that changes our will from this, this rising up and this wanting my kingdom to a, to a wanting his kingdom, to seeing it as beautiful and longing for it, and praying for it, and looking for it throughout our lives. Let's continue. Love your enemies. If you thought retaliation was a hard one, it gets, gets harder. Jesus is continuing to expose our hearts, and he exposes the hearts of the Pharisees. In verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, let's go and look at where we might have heard that said, Leviticus, again, chapter 19, and I just pulled 17 and 18. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. If you're looking for where it says hate your enemy, it doesn't say it there. 
the religious scribes and Pharisees and even these, in, in the people that are walking with Jesus had heard this said. They just didn't know that that's not exactly what it said. It, it had been taken and manipulated into something that, that said, hey, if you're not my neighbor, then you're my enemy. And if I have to love my neighbor, then I can hate my enemy. And for me, this was mind-blowing this week because I, I just assumed that Jesus was quoting what it actually said. And yet, that's not what it says. He's turning it, he's exposing their hearts in that situation. It says, hey, you can love your neighbor, but can you love your enemy? What was being taught was not only love your neighbor, but implications were made that you should hate your enemy. Jesus is still not changing the law. He's not tearing that down because that wasn't what it said in the first place. But he's simply uh, looking at their perception of the law and correcting their perversion of God's law. The Pharisees were defining neighbor as those who are like them. That one sit for a little bit. We all like people like us. We all hope to find people like us, same interests. And that's just a natural thing in our hearts. And yet, the Pharisees took it and made it something even more. They said they ought to love their own race and religion. This then must this must then mean that those unlike them are enemies. And so they took this liberty to say that uh, love our neighbor, love sorry, love our neighbor does not apply to those outside of their their own. So they could hate their enemies. But Jesus moves quickly into the clarification of God's character. He says, "But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven." For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The character of God is that he bestows a common grace on all men. The rain falls on the just and on the unjust. So it doesn't matter if you're living righteous or if you're not living righteous because God is is supplying life and giving the gift of life this common grace to all of us. And yet we take that to mean something more than, than what he's saying. And so we begin to uh, love those who love us, just as he says in 46. And then if we do that, what reward do we have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles love the same? But see, God has made it so that we can love those unlike us because he loved us who were unlike him, who were sinners and rebels, and he loved us and gave himself for us. And so now, because of what he's done, he's imparted that to us to actually live out in the way of his kingdom, to love those that are unlike us, to want what's best for them, to love our enemies. And then he finishes with, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, I see perfect, and I immediately cringe. I think, man, perfect. I can't, I can't do perfect. There's no way. If perfection is what is required, then I'm immediately eliminated. 
And if you don't think that, you're immediately eliminated. <laughs> That's the reality, is that none of us are perfect. And so we get to that point, and we're like, well, then what is all this for? What are we doing with this? How can I, how can I be perfect as he is perfect? And we look and we see that Jesus, in, in quoting these particular things, has pointed to one who would come and who was perfect and lived it out perfectly. Our question becomes, who then can walk in the way of the king? If perfection is the requirement to walk in his way, who can walk in the way of the king? You see, only the king has walked it perfectly. He's the only one. Jesus himself has come He humiliated himself to be born men like us. Took on the form of flesh. Walked a perfect life. Did not sin. Did not rise up in his own rebellion to his God and Father and say, I can do it it better like we do. But he, he humbled himself and suffered it without resisting. So when we look at do not resist the one who is evil and we say, I'm having a hard time with that. Jesus did not resist the ones who were evil. That was us. We are sinners. We killed him. We put him on a cross. And you, you're like, man, I wasn't there. No, but, but we, in and of ourselves, our will is that he would not be king, that we could somehow be king. On my own, I can do this. And Jesus bore our sin and shame all the way to the cross. We talked about being slapped in the face and how humiliating that was. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, was arrested and condemned for things that he didn't do. And then he went to the religious leaders of that day. And in the the courts of the high priest, he was slapped in the face. And he suffered it, and he didn't resist. He was, he was beaten. And then, then he moved to the next place, which was Pilate's courts. And outside of Pilate's courts, he was stripped naked and beaten and put a crown of thorns on him. And so you see Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 looking forward to the end of Matthew where he knows we need someone who would walk this perfectly and he's going to do it. And then not only did he get slapped in the face, And he was stripped naked, but he walked a mile. He was conscripted by these Roman soldiers and told to carry his cross, which he knew was going to be the instrument that killed him. He was told to carry it until finally someone else was told to carry it. But he walked that mile and he walked that second mile. And so Jesus has done all of these things. And then you go even beyond that and Jesus says, give To the one who begs from you and do not refuse from the one who would borrow from you on the cross. Jesus has already suffered all of these things and now he's got a beggar next to him. This other sinner that deserves the, he deserves the death that he's suffering. And yet he looks to Jesus and he begs and he says, can you forgive me? And Jesus doesn't withhold even in that moment, even in his most Weak and vulnerable moment, Jesus doesn't withhold from the beggar and he gives the gift of grace. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise because of his belief, because he believed that he was the son of God. And so there is one who has walked 
perfectly, did not retaliate, loved enemies, loved those who were persecuting him in the midst of the persecution, cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And we are benefactors of that. Jesus has walked this path perfectly. And not only has he walked it, but because of what he's done, he's conformed our will, our hard heart, And he's taken that hard heart that would want what we desire, and he's replaced it with his heart. And so now by the the power of his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in the same way that Jesus walks. And he, he said, no, I can't. No, he's given us that ability to see this as beautiful, to long for a time and a place where people would turn the other cheek, where they would live lives of laying down for one another. And he's enabled us to do this. Jesus actually made a way on the cross and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's transformed our will. And that's the transformation that we talked about in the beginning that we said we needed. We have to have a transformed heart, a transformed will. In Hebrews 10, 12 through 14, the author looks at what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And he says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This morning, we talked about a cry for justice. Justice has been satisfied on the cross. As believers, we can come this morning and we can say, justice has been satisfied. Jesus bore all of the things that I deserved on the cross for me. And we can also walk in waiting for justice, for the evil ones. We can, we can believe the promise that one day there will be a reckoning, that we will all have to answer for the things that we've done. And we, we can plead the blood of Jesus, and there will be a people that, that, that won't, that will continue to rebel, that will continue to say, on my own, and God will punish them. And the punitive justice that we desire, the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that we cling to, will actually happen done by a good and just king. And so we wait until that day. But today, we rejoice in the fact that God is gracious and kind, that he didn't retaliate, that he loved enemies like us, rebels like us, and has brought us into his kingdom, and that now we too can walk in the way of the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we're going to wrestle with this. We're going to wrestle with giving up ourselves, dying to ourselves, and yet you have come and you have provided a way for us to walk in the way of the King, to trust in the righteousness that, that you walked and that that has been credited to us imputed to us, but now not only is it on our record, but we can actually live this way with our neighbors who would, who would be evil at times. That we can give up our rights to be vindicated and justified immediately in the situation because you gave up your rights. So Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to continue 
to work that in our hearts. Begin it with some today, Lord, that, that today we would see that your way is good, that it's righteous, that we long for it, that we long for perfection, a completeness and a wholeness that only you can satisfy. So, Lord, we pray that you would do that. I pray that this would, this would be challenging for our hearts, uh, but it would also be encouraging, Lord, that we would rejoice in the one who has come, who has done it, who bore it all on the cross for us. Lord, and that, that we would remember that throughout this week as we have opportunities to, to rise up, to retaliate, that we would remember that you bore our shame. That because of that, we can, we can come as poor in spirit, broken, humbled, meek. We can walk in the way of the King. We love you, God, and we thank you for this in your name. Amen.